hours to go. It is the one o'clock hour of Wes and Walker right here on Sports Radio 927 WFNZ. I did want to get to some of your text. The number is 704-570-9610. That's the Garage Door Guru text line. Ty the Goldfish wrote in about the NFL draft during Tony Pauline's interview. Get me hooker in the 2023 NFL draft. And then he said, keep pounding at the end. TFB wrote in Bo Nix, who Pauline brought up, is Sam Howell 2.0. Who will be the same? Uh, who will be the same way with a? Uh, I don't even know what the rest of that is, but he just said Bo Nix is Sam Howell 2.0. This is why you read before you actually read on the air. But we had a couple of those quarterbacks that were mentioned by Tony Pauline, and we can start there. Honestly, have a lot to get to with what he talked about regarding the NFL draft. I brought it up, quarterback class. I think a lot of people were anticipating this specific class, Wes, just mm-hmm. a year ago. Because last year was pretty bad, all things considered. Malik Willis, Matt Corral, you had Kenny Pickett. Those were the guys that were considered the top QBs. And it was really Kenny Pickett and Malik Willis as to who was going to be the number one quarterback off the board. Well, Kenny Pickett was a first round pick. And then we had to wait a long time to see Malik Willis before he was selected eventually by the Tennessee Titans. But we were saying already, hey, Bryce Young, next year, I know he's small, but that guy's awesome. Yeah. C.J. Stroud, he's going to be a top commodity. I think people were still talking about Will Levis, and it was a little bit of a disappointing season. Same thing with Anthony Richardson, but I still expect both of those guys to be a top 30 pick. What say you on the depth of the quarterback class this year, even compared to next year, where Tony said, hey, pay attention to these other guys, not just Drake May and Caleb Williams. Yeah, I think it's a very top-heavy quarterback class. Like I said, I really only like Stroud and Bryce Young. And then when you talk about potentially a Hendon Hooker in the second round or could climb back into the first round, I still say he's going first round, especially when all the things you're hearing, he's incrementally starting to do certain things to help his cause. So I'm still going to say that he's going to be in the first round. But outside of those three, really, now not saying I know everything about every prospect, but the other guys like the Levises and the Anthony Richardsons, I'm not quite fond of. So I don't know. And I think that speaks a lot to the depth of this class. The fact that really after the first two guys, it's a big drop off to me. He also talked about liking Hendon Hooker a lot and he called him a special talent. That was only dealing with an injury, and that's why you're probably seeing him fall a little bit later on. Sometimes teams get stupid with these medicals, right, where a guy will be cleared, and yet teams are still going to be scared and not draft him because of the injury risk. And sometimes it's stupid, sometimes it's not, right? Whatever. Hindsight, 2020. But Hendon Hooker, being as good as he was, being absolutely a Heisman candidate, some people thought he still should have gone to New York despite the injury that ended his season a little bit early. If you draft whatever in the first round, okay, BPA, edge, whatever, pick a position outside of QB, and then in the second round take Hendon Hooker, I will tell you I'd still be pretty excited about that, especially because of the way that Hooker played. And if if it's really the injury that is keeping him so far back from these other prospects. And I know he's not the body that Will Levis or Anthony Richardson is. He doesn't have the prolonged production that Bryce Young has or does not even have the body that C.J. Stroud does. Stroud has the crazy accuracy too, right? There are things to like as to why, okay, you can see an argument. Those top four are top four for a reason. 
But I'll tell you this, if they decided to draft whoever at nine, whether it be a Miles Murphy, whatever position, and then still be able to land Hendon Hooker, it's risky. The longer you wait, the more you allow other teams to enter the fold. And so honestly, it's a little dicey. How much do you really want the guy yeah. if you're going to wait and then allow all these other teams to say, wait, I, I want Hooker before Carolina takes him? Because you're a QB team, even if you don't draft one at nine, right? Like other teams are looking at you and saying, wait, that is a risk. If I like Hooker myself, Carolina did not draft one at number nine. I need to make sure I jump jump up in front of them Correct. to land the Tennessee guy. So it's extremely risky just playing it from that angle. But if they were able to pull it off, Wes, I'd still like their draft overall, even after those first two picks alone. For sure. If you're able to get Hendon Hunker in the second round, I think it would be great value there because that theory alone, what you just said, is why I think that he will go in the first round. Because I think as it starts to wane down uh, the hours and minutes of the first round, I think teams will start to say that. I don't want this team to get him. I don't want that team to get him. And so... Um, you know, like I said, that's why I think he'll go there. But if the Panthers are able to get a guy that's able to come in and be a starter, like you said, a Miles Murphy or one of those type of guys, then, yeah, I would say that's a pretty successful first couple of picks. TFB also, yeah, we talked about his text about Bo Nix. And then another uh, writer wrote in, he said, why would we take another flyer later on in the draft when we already did that with Matt Corral? I see Hendon Hooker and Matt Well, I see them different. So I I don't see Hendon Hooker as a flyer, though, as much as I do with Matt Corral. Matt Matt Corral, don't get it twisted, was a third quarterback taken, if if I'm not mistaken. Third QB selected in an all-time bad QB class. When you're talking about Hendon Hooker, he might be a second-round pick, but this is a class that might not be as strong as next year, but it's certainly a lot stronger than what it was last year. And Hendon Hooker has the production. I mean, Matt Corral was not in the Heisman voting process last year, right? Like, I know you have the age with Hooker, but to me, a flyer, I, I don't I don't know how much of a project, how much that applies to Hendon Hooker. And so that's why I would absolutely take him. And, and even if you understand, even if you want to abide by that rule, why would we take another second round flyer? Because not all flyers are going to hit, right? Like I, I'm not going to allow, I'll say it a million other times. If you want to keep bringing his name up during the pre-draft process, I am not going to let Matt Corral's presence on this team dictate what I do in the draft whatsoever. Not one iota. I don't care if he's on the roster. I'll still draft a quarterback first, second, third, 17th, however many rounds they want to add. I'll still draft a QB. Yeah, and I think that you can't allow that thinking to come in. Um, you still They're still going to want to see what he has. But I think for Hendon Hooker, yes, the production is there. Now, the project side of it, I'm not 100% sure on because, like I said, he, he still kind of runs that RPO offense, kind of that, that Josh Heupel fun and gun type of system, getting out there four wides, picking a matchup, throwing it deep and things like that. And they, they schemed it well. So it'll be interesting to see his learning curve to uh, an NFL offense. But as I said, I think that there are definitely differences between him and, and Corral. And it'll be interesting to see how things play out. Uh, but I think that, as I said, if you're able to get Hendon Hooker uh, in that second round, I think you are having a pretty good draft at that point because I think that he will be, you know, at the end of the first round, they always list those guys who are going to be highly coveted the next day in those first few picks. Yep. And Hendon Hooker will surely be uh, in that group if he does not go in the first round. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about, too, is 
Tony Pauline was adamant about not selecting a tight end in the first round. Mm-hmm. And a lot of people, I think, like the idea of selecting Michael Mayer, especially at number nine, the prospect coming out of Notre Dame, you know, depending on how much you subscribe to the legitimacy of these mock drafts. I've seen Mayer around that area, you know, sometimes at 15, whatever Green Bay, I think, is what Todd McShay had him going to. But are you in agreement? Uh, are you in agreement with Tony Pauline about Carolina not drafting Mayer at number nine? Or do you not think it would be all that bad of a pick? I have watched Michael Mayer play a good many times, and I think that he is a good player. And it was always interesting to me how no matter what, teams still could not stop him. I know Notre Dame didn't really have any wide receivers. But I was like, how's Michael Mayer just always open? They always get him the ball. Um, and so that's the interesting thing when you look at him size-wise, 6'4", 250, just watching him play. I think he's probably going to run at the fastest a high four six, maybe mid four six type of guy. But the thing is, do I see him as a guy at nine that is a game changer? Because to me, in that top 10, 15 range, you're looking for a guy that is a, a franchise player, a franchise piece uh, for your team. I don't see Michael Mayer as that. Well, um, yeah, and the alternative is just rolling with Tommy Tremble and Ian Thomas a little bit more and then drafting somebody else a little bit later on. But we like Tommy Tremble. I think it was a third-round pick. I think that's right. Mm-hmm. And NFL draft Twitter loved him because he was such a great blocker at Notre Dame, by the way, mm-hmm. and that you thought his pass catching would come along, especially with his athleticism. You thought, okay, as soon as the route running, he's, as soon as he starts to learn that a little bit more, he can get separation and really provide himself as a weapon for whatever quarterback you have throwing his way. Sam Darnold, one of these guys that could be drafted with the ninth overall pick, whatever, right? So you thought maybe that could happen with Tommy Tremble. And I've always said this too. When it comes to tight ends, it takes a little while for those guys to cook. It's just a really hard position to learn. And especially with having to learn how to block, having to learn how to go out there and catch passes and learn route trees. I mean, it's a hard position Mm -hmm. outside of quarterback. You're talking about a lot of nuance to that specific position. And so you've seen tight ends on their second contract or a few years out of their rookie season. That's when they start to flourish. And so I I know at some point I'm holding on way too long to Tommy Trimble, right? To be this guy that deserves to be a top, what, 15 paid tight end of the NFL. I'm not saying he's shown anything like that so far. But what I am saying is it's not all that entirely rare to see tight ends break out in their third, fourth, fifth season. Mm -hmm. And even the athletic guys, too, we're talking about. Like a Julius Thomas comes to mind for Denver. You know, when we're talking about some of these tight ends that can be athletic, a remember Jordan Cameron's top notch year with Cleveland, right? Like we can go to some of those athletic tight ends that weren't amazing right off the bat. And so I wonder if that's something Carolina subscribes to, or if they just want to say, Hey, look, man, we like Ian Thomas as a blocker, but we need to go out here and get a pass catcher. If it's not day one, then we need to do it day two, day three. And there's also tight ends though, that will be available in free agency. Now the Panthers have to get their cap together, but when you look at the free agent class of this year and the teams that they play for might not be willing to invest big money uh, into these guys because they already have receivers and other guys that they're paying and quarterbacks that they have to pay. But, you know, you look at Evan Ingram, who had 766 yards last year. Dalton Schultz from uh, 15, the Cowboys. Um, Looks like he'll be available. Tanyan, uh, Hayden Hurst from the Bengals, because you know with them having to pay potentially T. Higgins coming up, he may be a guy to end up not getting that deal, Austin Hooper. So there'll be a few guys that if the Panthers wanted to go in that direction, Mike Gusecki, 
another name as well. So there'll be some guys who are around that if the Panthers wanted to go the free agency route to fill that need, they could do that as well. Yeah, and, and I'm interested too because there's not a lot of first-round tight ends taken anymore. You know, like you'll see one or two. Kyle Pitts was an all-time freak, and that's why he was selected at number four. The combine, the production – I mean, it was all crazy. The catch radius, he didn't drop any footballs thrown to him. I mean, Kyle Pitts is an all-time alien at the position. But then you go to 2020, you know, Cole Komet was drafted in the second round as the highest. You had Hawkinson and Fant, both out of Iowa. Hawkinson has certainly hit. That netted you quite the haul in that trade. Mm-hmm. Fant still has not come around, and, you know, he's bounced around a couple teams now. You mentioned, um, I think you were talking about the Hayden Hurst draft, if I'm not mistaken, where Dallas Goddard was drafted a little bit later on. He became a top tight end. It doesn't happen all that much. And here's another one, by the way, right? Just Evan Ingram, where he was a really athletic tight end, not much of a blocker, but drafted a little bit later in the first round. He was selected 23 overall, you know, inconsistent, constantly banged up with the Giants. was his breakout year. He was awesome this year, especially the second half of the season, starting to learn a better offense with Doug Peterson and Trevor Lawrence. So that's my only point. I, I don't want to hold on for dear life. To Tommy Trimble, if I'm not allowing him to dictate what I do at that position, too. Just want to be clear. Same thing with Matt Corral. Just because I have Trimble on the roster, like, well, we can't draft one here. We got Trimble. I'm ready to go all in. But I'd much rather at least hold on to him and allow, like, okay, maybe he can figure it out because we've seen that kind of thing happen in the position's history. What do you think of Michael Mayer? I mean, is that a guy you would be happy with at nine? I probably wouldn't draft him at nine, no. I'd probably wait until day two and get a tight end because I don't know if he's going to last. Oh, you're saying to get a tight end. I was going to say, I don't think he's going to last. No, I'm not. I'm not saying Mayer's going to last it too. Right. I'm I'm saying I would wait and then draft the tight end on day two, something like that. Fitty, you, you like Michael Mayer a lot. I know you've talked about him a couple of times. I I love him. I think he's the best tight end to come out. I mean, I, I like him more than Kyle Pitts did. We also have a problem. His last name is Mayer. We already have the mayor and Brant Bronico for Charlotte FC. How would Willie P decide which mayor he likes the best? Oh, we we know which one. The guy just put up a photo that is looking upon us right now with him wearing a mayor shirt. <laughs> so we know exactly who is he's going to be defending at all costs. And now what would be interesting is if somebody could start to embrace Michael Mayer if he was here and then have a duel with Willie P. And I, you know who I'm going to nominate. It's going to be you, Fiddy. Especially with your love of Michael Mayer, I would love to see you guys go at it in a duel and a showdown of the mayors. I do love tight ends. You do. The position on the football field, 100%. (laughs) And we'll see if Carolina decides to invest in that come the NFL draft. We'll get to some of your text on the other side of the break. It's Wesson Walker, Sports Radio, 92.7 WFNC. The Weston Walker Show Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You already know you can hit us up on the Garage Door Guru text line 704-570-9610 and hit that follow button on Twitter, Weston Walker, W-E-S-A-N-D-W-A-L-K-E-R. Now, LaMelo Ball, All-Star Weekend coming up. LaMelo will not be a part of that. He's going to miss it this year. He made it last year. And we were all excited about it. So we'll start this one off by begging the question. Starting next season, if LaMelo is healthy and has a relatively healthy career going forward, 
Is he a guy that we can look to to be in the All-Star game every year that he's able to be? I think that's absolutely the goal, and I think it's very attainable. Now, there's going to be a couple times where maybe he doesn't make it because of injuries. Because, And I know we're talking about this with the healthy caveat, but this is absolutely the goal for LaMelo Ball every single season. He did make it last year, and while he wasn't in the original 12 or whatever makes it that makes it, he was the first alternate, right? And even in this draft or in this all-star quote unquote draft process, we're talking about voting. I should say LaMelo was a guy that was still getting a lot of votes. It's all about how well the Charlotte Hornets can produce around him. That's what it is. Like it or not. So much of this is how well your team is performing. That's how you're affected by all NBA selections. And that's how you're affected a little bit when it comes to not only MVP, of course, but some of these all-star selections. And I do think that if Charlotte can even get to a point where you're contending for a playoff spot, not play in, but playoff spot every now, every single season, and, and maybe even play in, to be honest with you, I think that's absolutely the goal for LaMelo. And I think he's absolutely talented enough to reach that type of goal where you expect him to, to make the all-star game year in and year out. What's interesting, so when you look at it here and you look at the tallying results, the tallied results, LaMelo finished eighth overall when they talk about, you know, the weighted score, et cetera. But now Kyrie Irving is now gone from the east to the west. But you still have Donovan Mitchell, uh, the guys, and I'm talking about the guys who finished in front of him that will be his competition going forward. Donovan Mitchell, Jalen Brown, James Harden, Tyrese Halliburton, which is an interesting one. Uh, DeMar DeRozan and Trey Young, the guy in his own uh, division. And then you talk about a pretty steep drop-off in votes when you go from those guys because uh, – now, Tyler, uh, as far as fan votes, Tyrese Halliburton had 653. LaMelo had 691. So we don't necessarily have to talk about him as a starter, but just overall him making it, and those are the guys that will be his competition. And I think you're right, Walker. I think that if he is able to make the Hornets a perennial playoff team, and a team that's competing, and for one, for him to be seen a lot. Even though we have social media and we see Melo all the time, I think one thing that was missing this year too, you know, when you talk about the Miles Bridges factor, the fact that every night pretty much he and Miles were on House of Highlights or Bleacher Report doing something crazy to where he was throwing a lob to him or, or something wild was going on. So I don't think he's been as seen this year, too, as he has been last season to where every night you had some type of LaMelo pass with the Eric Collins call on top of it, and it was going viral. And so I think that's one thing that will help him, too, going forward is him being seen more, getting more national games, getting on, you know, just being a guy that's going viral at least once or twice a week with highlights uh, as well. And I think that's something that was missing from this. And that's year. because the team was dubbed the league pass squad For of the sure. NBA. Yeah. Because you had LaMelo, because Miles Bridges was dunking everything in sight on the court. And because this was a team that with Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier, despite what you might think of them in their contracts, it helped them get to over 40 wins. It helped them get to be a team that at one point in the season was fourth in the Eastern Conference. They fell way back. They got blown out in the play-in game, and there are some real problems with this franchise going forward. There's no doubt about it. But that kind of fun, that kind of entertainment value absolutely brought more eyeballs to LaMelo, and that's what allowed him to get to the All-Star game. I mean, even now, you're talking about someone, If he let's let's just say he's healthy all season long. He's at least getting talked about. 
the amount of games that he played and lack thereof, that's what threw him out of the equation entirely. It's not because he's had such a bad year efficiency or scoring wise. It's because he didn't play enough games. If you think that he is an injury prone player, then maybe this would affect your decision about him making an all-star game every single season. I think it's a little bit of unlucky rather than unhealthy surrounding LaMelo. There's not going to be a fan's foot there when he's saving the ball out of bounds constantly like that happened against Indiana just three games back from injury. So I'm going to go with the unluck part of this. Plus, he was healthy the year prior. He did play quite a bit of games, and that's how he was able to make the all-star game. But it all is about Mitch Kupchak. It's about this front office, and it's about ownership with Michael Jordan putting the talent around him. I remember Kevin Artovitz talking about this with the Dallas Mavericks. The hardest thing to do is get your star. And they didn't get Luka Doncic here in Charlotte, but they got LaMelo Ball. That's really good. Every franchise would love to have him on their roster. You got LaMelo. That's the hard part. The second hardest part, and it's not that big of a gap between the two, it's putting everything else around him in order for you to keep that guy happy and to keep things turning and moving along consistently. Because you had that a little bit with Memphis, and you know what? So far, so good for them. Jaron Jackson they hit on. John Moran is somebody that is one of the faces of the NBA, even with some of the -the off-the-court issues right now. But we all know his talent, right? Like, Dallas has a very real problem right now where they lose Jalen Brunson for nothing. They didn't want to extend him. He's balling out for the Knicks. They trade for Kyrie Irving because they feel a little desperate. Kyrie Irving is not locked up long-term, so he could leave, and if Kyrie Irving leaves, what does Dallas have now? You're back to square one with a dude that is an absolute freak in Luka Doncic. First thing is getting that star. That's the hardest part, but then it's making him happy and putting the ancillary pieces around him. Now, one key about LaMelo Ball is, you know, for one, will he make the all-star team? We're talking about that, but if he doesn't, will he come back in the sense that does he know how many days he has off? Because last night, a moment that went viral, <laughs> Ashley Shamadi, my old co-worker, asked him, did he, you know, she told him how mo- how long he will have off during this All-Star break, and uh, let's hear his reaction. Now you got nine days off. What are you most looking forward to? You know, nine days? Yeah, I, I, I like four. <laughs> <laughs> so just go see the dogs, family, pretty much all the dogs. It's going to be lit. And then see my moms, my pops, brothers and stuff. So, yeah, it's going to be a nice little week. I mean, how hilarious was that? It's it's fa- it's so real too. I mean that that's happened with Lamelo a couple of times. I think Ashley has brought to his attention that you actually are the first person ever to accomplish this feat within franchise history. Be like, oh word, I didn't know that. Okay, sweet. Like that happens all the time with Lamelo. Yeah, and then for him to not know how many days and just that reaction, man, it was just classic uh, Lamelo at his finest. So uh, talking about that. Double question question here. Is LaMelo Ball the only future all-star on this team? And how is it how important is it for the next first round pick to be an all-star as well? He's absolutely the only surefire all-star on this team. Yes, I agree. Look, Miles Bridges is the is the player to mention here because we don't know if he is certainly going to be back with Charlotte. We got the report from Michael Scotto, but there hasn't been anybody to back that up necessarily so who knows if miles bridges is sure to be on this squad going forward we don't know if he's going to go to a different team and even if he does come back with charlotte are we sure that he's going to be an all-star right at this point you're talking about a long time away from the game you're going to be talking about at least a year you're going to have a suspension there's going to be some kind of disciplinary notice coming from the league so is it a year and a half is it two years and at that point it's a long time now I don't know however close Miles was to making the All-Star game last year. 
I, I think there was a decent gap there, but at least he was thrown in consideration. He was good enough to say, hey, we should pay attention to his resume and see how it stacks up to some of the other front court players that did make it. Mark Williams is another guy that you might go to down the line, but it's also hard for defensive first centers to make the all-star game. If you're talking all-star and not all NBA because of defense or defensive player of the year prowess, if you're talking all-star, then yeah, the guy's probably going to have to start making threes and averaging close to, you know, what, 15 points per game? I think that's his ticket, though, is for him to be a defensive player of the year candidate. Right. If he can get to that level where he's on par with that, then I think he gets to all-star games. As much as I like P.J. Washington, the reason I like P.J. is because he's not an all-star. And what I mean by that is the fact that you don't have to pay him all-star money. Yes. And so when you're talking about him helping the other all-stars on the team defensively, also having that ability to shoot threes and step up for you every now and again, but you don't have to rely on him consistently. That's exactly the reason I like him. So for this answer, no, PJ is not the other all-star here. It's LaMelo. That's the only surefire guy. And Wes, I think that's why with this next first round draft pick lofty goals. Okay. But it's what every team wants to do in the first round. It's to draft that next all-star. And if you're lucky, even the next superstar, it's pretty imperative for Charlotte to find something close to that guy. It is ginormous for them to get this thing right because, like I said, there's no guarantee and it's slim to none that you're going to be able to go out and get a guy that's an all-star caliber player to come join this team. You know what the Hornets, we heard it yesterday, Jake Fisher said it, teams like the Hornets have to go out and build through the draft. That's exactly what they're going to have to do. They're going to need to go out and hopefully get into the top two or three. You're much higher on Scoot Henderson than I am. Yeah. But as far as uh, getting a, a guy like Wembenyama, which is the ultimate, like that's like being on a video game and, and getting to the boss board. And you get the, you know, in the video games when you get to beat the guy and then you can have him in your arsenal after you beat them. Like that's that's what he is. Is he's he Bowser in in Super Mario? Yeah, he's like a, a boss boy character. Who are some of the other best bosses or nemesis? Well, like on NBA games. Street though, when you could uh, when you would play some of the funky characters that they had on the first one, I believe. Like they had the Yeti, and they had like some <laughs> other. Oh, they had like a Doctor J, like wannabe type of guy yes. that was really nice. He was on the cover, wasn't he, of one of those NBA yes, Street volumes or could, something? What they, I think it was actually Doctor J. So it probably was. Dr. And then you could beat him, but then you could be able to have them to choose. From from an exhibition play. Anyway, uh, that's what Wemby is. So, uh, but yes, it is paramount that they get this thing done. So, uh, before we get to, you talked about Miles Bridges a little bit. We're going to talk about do we think Miles Bridges will be a part of the core, but let's hear what Jake Fisher uh, had to say about this matter. I just know that the league is taking it very, very seriously, and there's no like light at the end of the tunnel, let's say, in terms of figuring out what his suspension is going to be and the next steps and order of operations that have to occur there. There's just been plenty of talk, let's say, about what will happen after that process comes to a, a close. So do you think, though, in your heart of hearts, that at the end of the day, Miles Bridges will be a Charlotte Hornet again? I do think he'll be back. I think that the Charlotte Hornets right now, especially with Mitch Kupchak's comment during media availability, I'll let you guys figure out just how much Miles Bridges' absence affected our team. 
I think he's going to probably be back. And part of this is because they still have control over the contract. And so if another team wants to sign him, you still have restricted free agency rules. Another team can choose to offer him whatever, and the Hornets are going to have the ability to match within a couple of days. And I ultimately think the Hornets would probably match. And then what they're going to say is that he pled no contest. They let the legal process play all the way out. And I'm sure there's going to be some community service things that they're going to have Miles Bridges be a part of just from a PR standpoint, too. And they'll play basketball with Miles alongside LaMelo and Gordon Hayward and Terry Rozier, at least now until we get to the offseason and we'll see if exactly they get traded. But the suspension you heard there from Jake Fisher, the NBA is taking this very seriously and I sure hope they are because you're not talking about in the era that puts more of an emphasis and provides more attention on domestic violence, justifiably. So we have not had this type of instance within the NBA where you did have photos, you did have the medical report, if you will, on Michelle Johnson circulating on social media. And then you're talking about Miles Bridges, you know, allegedly being the person that did that to her, right? And then you're talking about pleading no contest. With all of that in the air in today's era of the NBA and them not having an example like this to go off of, you got to come down hard with the punishment. And if you're Adam Silver... That's at least a season to me. I mean, at the very least, half a season. But this is where it starts to get tricky. How do you put any kind of okay, right? Like, how how do you feel good about any type of punishment that comes the way of Miles Bridges? Okay, a year's good. Okay, two years. Like, it's all arbitrary, right? The only precedent we can really go off of is the harsh punishment of O.J. Mayo. I believe Tyreek Evans, too. I should probably look that up before I throw his name out. But when you're talking about those two guys being suspended from the league for two years because of the anti, uh, anti-NBA drug program. So, okay, this seems worse. I feel pretty comfortable saying that with Miles Bridges, that this is worse. And if that is, and you don't suspend him for something longer than violating the NBA anti-drug program for multiple seasons, then Adam Silver and the NBA, look, they're going to have a lot to answer for. They'll probably wait it out, just like a lot of these stories go. You'll just wait it out until the and, and weather the storm until it goes away. But those are all of the things at play regarding Miles Bridges. Yeah, I'm with you 100%. I think he will be back. I think, like I said, it's the old uh, adage of, well, he's going to go somewhere. He might as well play for us. He's our guy, and the Hornets don't have the easiest time attracting stars uh, to their roster. And I think that plays into this wholeheartedly. So I think he will be back with this team next season. It's going to be fascinating to see the reception, to see how he, you know, is going to be treated, how he's going to be viewed uh, across the league. And also, you know, how he's going to look just from a player perspective uh, when he does get back with that time away from the game. But I was going to also ask you, I didn't quite get your take on the fact that did you think that the Hornets should have gone ahead and tried to at least get him on that tender so that they could get the punishment going, whatever that may be. I'm not sure. They could give him the tender, they, the franchise tender, correct? I mean, the the one he could have signed. They have to wait for an investigation to be complete before okay. they're really going to make any decision about Miles Bridges. The decisions that have been made, I think I did see a talk about at the beginning stages of all of this, a recension of the qualifying offer. That's what I'm talking about, the qualifying offer. Right. I mean, I think right now, the only way to do this, right, would be to try to agree to a contract with him, and that would be an awful look, you know, 
for, for the Charlotte Hornets. So they're going to wait to see the NBA investigation that is happening after they let the legal process play out. And I don't know how much money he's going to make after that. But with Mitch Kupchak's comments about Miles Bridges mm-hmm. saying, I'll allow you to discuss just how much that affected us this year. I think what a lot of people you know, kind of forget about, too, when the Hornets were in the Donovan Mitchell sweepstakes, it would have made a lot more sense for them to go after Donovan in a very similar neighborhood to what Cleveland was in, because in that territory, or at least at, with that kind of idea, you're talking about having LaMelo Ball and Miles Bridges. And then I think you'd feel a lot more comfortable gutting the rest of your roster to go get Donovan, to get rid of three first round picks, to get rid of PJ and Gordon Hayward for salary matching or Terry, whatever, and all of the trade swaps in order to go land Donovan. But part of the hard decision to be made there was you didn't have anybody else in place as a foundation piece. But if you had LaMelo and Miles and then you went to land Donovan Mitchell or another star because it seemed like the Hornets were kind of in on that this offseason, yeah. that would have made a lot more sense. So not only did Miles affect them on the court as far as how they would have looked this season without any moves made this offseason, it did absolutely affect their decision-making process leading up to the year because remember – He was arrested for felony domestic violence like a day before NBA free agency. And the Hornets weren't prepared for that. I'm not sure how any NBA franchise would be prepared for that. I'm not sure either, man. It's definitely one of the wildest moments in Charlotte sports history, no doubt about it. But uh, let's get wild with Fiddy as he gives us his second flash. That scares me a little bit. This one's going to be wild just off of the wording I have for it. Uh, not too, you know, so a few weeks ago, we had Duke's women's head basketball coach, Kara Lawson, complaining about her team having to play with a men's sized ball and a loss, I believe, to Florida State, although FSU had to play with a men's sized ball as well, if that was true. And the ACC <laughs> refuted that claim, right? Well, last night. After Virginia took down Louisville in a 61-58 barn burner, both players or, or players on both sides complained about the ball last night, complaining that they had issues dribbling it and said it was just, quote, very, very flat. Do we have a ball problem here in the ACC? Why didn't they just go say something during the game if they were... If the ball felt like it was flat, why didn't they make mention of this during the game? Well, I have I, I don't know, but also I don't know how many basketballs they're all bringing to the court. I mean, don't you have a, a certain There's set? Tons of them. Wasn't there a <laughs> ridiculous? I said basketballs is what I really need to say because <laughs> Fiddy is who he is. Isn't there some like how many baseballs do they bring to a major league game? It's something absolutely ridiculous. There's, I, all, there's almost like a hundred that is supplied. I don't know how many that would be for any college basketball game out there. But look, it's absolutely not a good look if you're the ACC and you have two basketball problems surrounding a couple of different games right now. Come on, man. And so, look, I'm not trying to say that there is a basketball problem, but if there are multiple teams, multiple coaches, multiple players saying what the hell's going on here, right. then, yeah, you better make sure every game from here on out has the right basketball and it seems like it's a pretty damn easy thing to do yeah no doubt about it and i mean like i said if, if that's the case i felt like they should have brought that to attention to the attention of the referees uh during the game so man it's just wild times in the acc missed calls basketball issues officiating all stuff times is huge wild this stuff so when we return folks get ready get to your radio it's that time of the week fire or fizzle on the Wesson Walker Show, Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ. You have some cojones. 
Finishing up the 1 o'clock hour on Wes and Walker. Big shout to Tony Pauline for helping us with our NFL draft takes, talking about why he would stay away from a tight end in the first round and maybe even stay away from a quarterback in the first round. We'll have the interview for you on the website, WFNZ.com. All you have to do is just click on the Wes and Walker tab, and that will bring you exactly where you need to go. But I'm also glad you're listening because you need to be right here at 145 every single Thursday. Because that's when we go to everybody's favorite segment, Fire or Fizzle. And the theme for today with the All-Star Weekend this weekend, it's going to be our favorite or the greatest NBA dunk contest dunks of all time. Oh, the glory days of watching Michael Jordan, Vince Carter, Dominique Wilkins, the best dunkers ever. Instead, now we got like, what, Mac McClung (laughs) going out there. It's brutal, but we don't have to do that right now. We don't have to talk about the current NBA dunk contest. Let's live in nostalgia, Wes, and let's start with Dr. J's free throw line dunk. Is this fire or is this fizzle? Listen, folks, we're going we're gonna to go back to 1976. The funk music envision that playing in the background. As you watched one Julius Irving come from the free throw line, and dunk at home. The afro's flying. The wind going through his hair. You can hear earth, wind, and fire playing as he's sailing towards the bucket to dunk it down in a dunk. You've never seen it before. Even though he did it in an ABA dunk contest, but he hadn't done it yet in the NBA. So Dr. J, Julius Irving, the man that had people standing in trees and in windows as he played at Rucker Park before his free throw line dunk, the first to be seen in the NBA dunk contest, it is straight. Fire, give it up for the doctor. The OG free throw line. Let me ask you this before we move on, though. So many people will bring out a microscope to watch the free throw line to see whether the players actually jump from the charity stripe. Are you one that wants to legislate the free throw line dunk, or are you cool even if they're just in the vicinity? I can do foot on it. Okay. But more than likely, I'd like for you to be behind it. Yeah, and not many people, not even the great ones, yeah. have really been behind it like that. Yeah, so James Flight White did, though. Yes, he did. <laughs> Between the legs, yeah. with the white t-shirt on yeah. his head, it was amazing. The sleeve cut out. Oh, yeah. <laughs> Next one here, Wes. J.R. Ryder, great pull, forgotten about quite a bit. So let these people know, J.R. Ryder, Easy Bay Funk Dunk. Listen, this dunk outside of the free throw line dunk is the most imitated, and I think in today's game, it is the most imitated dunk out there. And there have been many variations of this, but this was the OG. J.R. Ryder, fresh out of UNLV, went to the dunk contest Oakland's finest. That's why it's called East Bay. Okay? Listen, there was buzz around that dunk contest the whole weekend, and he would do it. He did it in 93 during the NCAA dunk contest, but people wondered if he would do it in the game today. Starting at the corner of the court, looking at the basket from the side, a dribble or two, full stride, into the air we go, transfer, left hand, right hand, under the legs, dunked it in to the hoop, and he got a 49 for this dunk. Kobe won with that same dunk the next year. Yeah. But we're going to give J.R. Ryder his roses. We're going to put the character issues to the side because there were many. But for the J.R. Ryder (laughs) East Bay Funk dunk and the Converse shoe that came after that, it is straight. 
fire. He's getting hypey in the bay with J.R. Ryder. I'm glad you brought up J.R. Ryder. That's one that I always forget about. And you're right. The between the leg dunk. It's the most imitated dunk in today's game. And that's why everybody gives it like a 40 now. That's yeah. how you know athletes are absolutely And ridiculous. now you have kids doing it in games now. In high school games, you see kids doing this dunk. Now, Baron Davis tried a variation of this dunk, and it didn't go quite so well. Uh-huh. But D. Brown, mm-hmm. he gave you a no-look dunk. Mm-hmm. When he gave you that no-look dunk, Wes, yes. did you think it was fire or was it fizzle? Listen, we talk about the Queen City. I was eight years old. I had an opportunity to go to this dunk contest, but I told my mom, no, I must stay home because I'd rather play with my t-. I regretted that decision for the rest of my life, and I still do today. But when we talk about that dunk contest, when he went up against Sean Kemp, and he went down and he pumped up those pumps that I own a pair today. The Omni Lights, classic shoe, great product place in the Queen City on the court. He went up, put the arm over the face. Many have debated if he really could see on his way to the hoop. Well, I'm going to tell you right now, folks, this dunk, D. Brown, Queen City, 1991, the no-look dunk is straight. Fizzle, I never liked that dunk. Sean Kemp should have won the dunk contest. Yeah, I don't remember Sean Kemp in this one. but Sean Kemp did the joint where he jacked it back with one hand and almost touched his heel with his elbow. Yeah, I have a Rain Man t-shirt, I think, with that exact pose on it. The Rain Man, Sean Kemp. I'm kind of with you. I'm glad that we agree on something Fizzle in here. Yeah. All right, Michael Jordan's on here. Now, what dunk? There's plenty to choose from. Listen, I was talking about this dunk the other day, and I couldn't remember what the name was when I talked about the famous poster because he was holding the globe and he was in space. What dunk am I talking about, people? Am I talking about the free throw line dunk? Am I talking about all the classic dunk contest dunks that he performed? But folks, I'm talking about the kiss the rim. You remember the poster. You probably had it in your room. In the pose, mid-air, he's laying to the side, fried, died, laid to the side like some of y'all had that jerry curl back then in 87. I know y'all don't know nothing about that. But listen, this was a dunk that really personified the nickname of air, okay? He elevated, turned his body sideways in midair, and dunked it down with authority. And he won his first slam dunk contest with this dunk and solidified himself as one of the GOAT dunkers. Where the hell do you think this is going? Michael Jordan kissed the rim, 87 is straight! Fire! One of the greatest dunks of all time. My favorite Jordan dunk contest dunk. Is that the one with the gold chain bouncing? Or is that... Yes. Okay, that one's a fantastic one. Yes. There, there was only one answer for that. And there's really only one answer for this, and I hope you go the right direction. Listen. Vince Carter. When you talk about dunk contest performance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There is none better than that. I'm sorry to you older heads, but when 15, Vince Carter came out there in those and ones in Oakland, in the Bay... And captivated the basketball world. He had Shaq, Jermaine O'Neal, all the All-Stars acting like children on the sidelines with the performance he put on. The man said he didn't even know most of the dunks he was going to do before he did them. (laughs) How am I supposed to pick one out of there? When he came out and started out with the reverse 360, the under the legs off the bounce from T-Mac. But folks, when he did this dunk, and you didn't even know, if you go back and watch the full broadcast of this, the announcer didn't even know what had happened at that point. He did the dunk, and they were like, oh, yeah, 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 that was a nice dunk, and yada, 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 yada. And then you went back, and you saw those replays. 
and you saw that the man put his damn arm in the rim. You never seen that before and you hadn't seen it since. They call it the honey dip. I call it the hanging the arm in the rim. Bow Wow put it in a rhyme for God's sake. So you know that makes it legendary. Oh, that might make it fizzle. Don't ever disrespect Bow Wow. <laughs> when we talk about Vince Carter's honey dip dunk of 2000, and you had to take two or three looks at a slow-mo replay just to realize how nasty it was. And he said his arm was numb after that, by the way. It is straight fire for the greatest dunk contest performance ever. And I'll never forgive Kenny Smith. That was a 50, Kenny. And that's why you will live in infamy when it comes to the dunk contest. Turn that music off. 704-570-9610. Feel free to text us. Give your thoughts on the fire or the fizzle dunks. And then tell us what some of your favorite dunk contest moments are of all time. It's the 2 o'clock hour coming up next. Wes and Walker Sports Radio 92.7 WFNZ.